Greetings and welcome to this week's episode of the Pixel Crashers podcast. Podcast where we rant about gaming news and stuff, and Kev isn't here to shout random obscenities. I'm Angelus DeMortio, together with Zyphon. Hey! And Night Rose. Howdy! And this is the podcast that is playing on today's date, April 6th, 2019. We're going to talk about a bunch of fun stuff, and Kev... Sadly, isn't going to be here to experience it. He had to step away for for this week. He'll be back next week for us to ramble about games and maybe play a game if it hasn't shut down. We'll get to that <laughs> later. And keep him from rage quitting. <laughs> I <keep laughs> that that is true. I know, I know that pain. Yeah. I shared a picture. Yeah, yeah. So, so we would like to extend an apology out to um, all elderly people and blind people for last week's stream. <laughs> so, in, in any case, forget about the blind people and midgets. Yeah. So, we, yeah, we got a little toxic last week. Um. So, yeah, a little. Just a wee bit. Just a wee bit. That does happen with co-op games. Whenever you're new at it, and uh, everybody's trying to kind of suss out things sometimes you know yeah anyway moving on from that um so we got a fun bit of stuff to go over this week that should be fairly entertaining although the first thing is is that uh you know there's there's been uh some some interesting games uh to that have that have come on sale come available recently obviously a big one that was fun was that the borderlands handsome jack collection which is Borderlands 2 and Borderlands the pre-sequel and all of the DLC contained therein was on sale for like $14, which is like $220 worth of content. And then there was also the, uh, they redid the Borderlands 1. They kind of uh, refreshed it a little bit, gave you a game of the year edition. That was like $7.50. So a lot of, a lot of good content there that was super cheap that I thought was pretty awesome. Did you guys get a chance to pick any of that goodness up? I think, Xyphon, you already had Borderlands 2, didn't you? Yeah, I already had the sync game, and it was not in the budget to pick up that package. Um, yeah. I don't know why I don't have the original. I don't know what... It must have been a Humble Bundle was what I got it on that had the sync game first. Yeah. That's a big old negative for me. No, she's no like... For it. She, she's like, oh, how dare you? No, I don't play video games. I'm kidding. <laughs> no no you've it's been not an mmo so she's gonna stay away from it you, hey been... now i don't just play mmos so so yeah, what game what game were you, you playing those, today they eat up a Rose? lot of time like warframe yeah. amount of time so so what uh, you, you're not a big player of mmos what game were you playing today rose <laughs> final <laughs> fantasy 14 that's, uh, that's, that? that, that's a that's a single player <laughs> rpg right uh <laughs> anyway fun times speaking of nonsensical reactions to things that don't really matter one of the things i thought was interesting that that we uh we saw this week was actually this really cool apparently not the story um that won't show up there so let me get that fixed for us real quick here but uh yeah, apparently this week we got, uh, uh, or I should say it was about a week and a half ago, um, we got an announcement of a uh, this 
VR Iron Man game um, that's going to be released for the PlayStation VR, um, which essentially just made kind of Anthem seem a little bit less than stellar all of a sudden because now we actually have an Iron Man simulator. <laughs> okay, that is entirely Throwing my shade. That, 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 is, shade. that is entirely my own personal bias there, I'll admit. Um, that's, that's the main reason I liked Anthem was because it made me feel like Iron Man. Well, now we actually have uh, a real Iron Man simulator that's actually in VR and from all the accounts it appears to be very good. So this spurred up a question uh, about uh, the future of PlayStation and essentially uh, that PS4's future is PSVR. Um, you know, and that's really an area that they haven't tapped to its fullest potential. But my question to you guys is not just PS4. Do you guys think PSVR is the future of PlayStation as a whole? To make themselves sound stand out and not just um, hold games hostage. I mean, have uh, feature exclusives. <laughs> um, that is the uh, would be a great route for them to take because you know you you've got you're going to have Xbox and Google Stadia competing on the game streaming market as far as something uniqueish. And Google, like I, I thought, it was going to come out with Xbox first, and then started hearing Google rumors, and all of a sudden we have Stadia. Xbox, like, yeah, we still have Project X Cloud, but it's not ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think there was there was a comment that someone in Microsoft let slip that they were uh, they were a little bit uh, on their heels whenever Google announced Stadia, uh, a little too fast for their for their liking. Um, mm -hmm. But Rose, what's your thoughts? Um, you have a PS4, don't you? I had. Oh, it it's died. gone. It oh. died. It, it overstayed. Died. Died. died, and you're not missing it, right? Uh, not since I've got Sathanus over here. Um, that's my computer build's name. Sathanus. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, it's fucking huge, and you'd have to have played Free Space Two to understand the reference. But I think that yes, PlayStation is going to really tap into the VR market. And really, it's needed because we need more affordable VR. You shouldn't have to spend a grand on a fucking VR system. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are right now with the PC market. Well, what, what is the, the actual PSVR kit? Not the PS4, but just the PSVR kit cost. Isn't it like 150 uh, or something like that? I can't remember. I think it was like 300 almost as much as the PlayStation 4. I can look it up right now. Yeah, but even then, if you look at those combined prices, it's far cheaper than a dedicated PC VR set by itself, exactly. not including the computer yeah. you need to run it. Because you're talking about $1,000 for VR. That's usually... $214.95. But that's like a thousand dollars for to to have uh, to build your own computer that can run VR, and then the VR set after that. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. Exactly. And that's that. And the thing is, is a thousand dollars is usually the minimum entry point. Although depending on the game you're playing in VR, sometimes that's not even enough. You need some really insane things because VR, of course, requires extremely high frame rates to There's... not cause. Like, you need a significant somebody, uh, CPU. Put, yeah, uh, and GPU. Yeah. 
because you got to think it's got to put out the the uh, frame rate twice. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's it's doubling whatever frame rate uh, resolution by frame rate that you're looking at, which you know resolution by frame rate can already be pretty intense, and you need a high high resolution, pretty fairly high resolution per eye. And then, of course, yep. you know, because for I, it's, you know, double your frame. I think the minimum frame rate is 90 frames per second to yep. avoid causing, uh, you know, issues with people. But there was a new, like a third party that was coming out, and I can't remember who it was, not Oculus, not in 5, but it was somebody else. And they were looking at pushing some crazy numbers on resolution and frame rate on there. I think um, there was a VR dedicated console that, that somebody like a uh, fly by night company was, uh, was suggesting to make, but I don't know exactly uh, if ever, anything ever came of that for that matter, though. I'm going to see if I can look up some news on this, but this was like a bigger company that, you know, had not been doing anything with um, doing anything before. And I, like uh, it's kind of surprised me a little bit on who it was, but just, and also the, the proposed specs on the device. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that we should mention is that Steam is working on their own VR. That's the one I was thinking of. I think yeah. it was the Steam. That's so, who it was. Yeah, there is there is a Steam not headset. A complete surprise. Yeah. Yeah, but it's supposed to boast insanely higher resolutions than other uh, the other two headsets that are out at the moment. Yeah, the thing is though is that with and, and there's a uh, uh, Oculus has their new uh, wireless VR headset which. I don't know necessarily what it does for games, but obviously that was a big deal because you ask anybody that's tried a VR headset, one of the biggest obnoxious pieces of it is that big bundle of wires that comes off the back of your head that makes you feel like you're Valkyr. Um, but that's that's the main... The other piece on there, though, is that with PC, I, admittedly, there's a distinct lacking of a lot of really high-quality VR uh games like oftentimes what i what i run into is a lot of proof of concept and tech demo type things like here's what a good vr game could look like you do have a lot of like really like award-winning great vr games like super hot vr is amazing but a lot of the problem that i run into is that you know getting games like now no man's sky has a vr mode now or it's going to be coming out soon i can't remember which which will be good um but you know there's there's other ones out there that are few and far between that just really has not been a a really uh, strong market because i think that it's such a niche thing on pc that a lot of companies just don't want to make games for it whereas if you have ps4 like the psvr uh getting that more better accessibility that to me seems like a little bit uh something to get people making vr games yeah the, and that's the thing it's like the barrier to entry has you know on the customer end of things has been stymied the entire market um much like 3d you know uh, was a while ago and then people putting put started um, a lot of companies started putting 3d tech a lot more affordable and it was in almost every theater movie you see but for you know when it comes to um watching something just watching even putting on a pair of glasses can be too much for some people. Whereas when you're getting into gaming, 
those peripherals are more acceptable. We're, you know, more ready to, we, we've already got the controller or the keyboard and mouse uh, interface with whatever we're doing on the game. Putting on a headset may or may not be, um, you know, that big of a jump from there. Granted, I have not got, uh, got a chance to sample any gaming-grade VR systems. I would like to, but I have not gotten that far yet. The closest I've come to that is Google's Daydream, which is nowhere near the same. Yeah. I, I mean, like I it has the same function to it, but the quality behind it is way much, much lower. I did have a chance to play with a, a VR-ready system, and that was back when I was at University of Cincinnati. Um, but the whole tech group had a get together, and it's really an interesting thing when you can play it. Mm-hmm. And at that time, like that was when it was first coming out. It cost them like two grand to build the system that could handle it, because that was like they needed two 980s or something, and they had to have a third-party driver or something for. NVIDIA had released the ability inside of um, Leave it to the techies to break in, figure it out, and do all that shit. But it's really an interesting system when you can get into it. Yeah. The, I really want to get... I, I've, had a, I've had a chance to, fortunately enough, sample um, the Oculus Rift, the original Oculus Rift, um, the, uh, the HTC Vive, uh, as well as a, a few uh, AR solutions like uh, HoloLens, um, just in, in the course of doing things. Now, HoloLens is an entirely different animal. Doesn't really count here at all. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, that at this point, Microsoft themselves aren't even looking at aiming this at gaming um, because it's it has a lot more applicability, at least to get it a foothold in the market uh, by targeting um, the enterprise sector, which to me is the that that's a way for uh, a lot of companies to get new technologies adopted to where, yeah, maybe they want to put it into gaming eventually. But and, and maybe it was a gaming group that originally designed it. But the truth is, is that unless they can get enterprise pickup to uh, help subsidize some of the cost of uh, R&D on there, uh, because obviously when you're dealing with enterprise customers, you can charge significantly more than if you're t- targeting just the gaming group, right? To, to a certain degree. Now, the thing about enterprise customers is they are still other businesses that are buying into it, so they've got that cross-structure to worry about. There's only so much they're going to invest into it, whereas yeah. another ideal candidate, which has a much looser grasp on their budget, military. Yeah, you start. Yeah. yeah, you start getting into military, and much people like, oh, you know, military bad. Whatever kind of gripes you have about that, but as far as you know, pioneering technologies that will end up becoming major use throughout the entire world later on. Like military the is great for that. Uh, the internet, GPS, GPS yep. is another big one. Yep. Um, but and that's the thing is, military will dump large amounts of budget just into the R&D and then buy the product on top of that, which, you know, government on the on the uh, front end of it looks like it's a ridiculous waste of money. But when you look at the long term of it, look at how much uh, widespread worldwide use there is of GPS on the Internet. And there was ridiculous budgets thrown into military R&D and then purchase of GPS products on the start beforehand and how much it has benefited us since then. 
Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah, and you see that a lot. It's there. There is uh, military, or I should say, uh, public sector in general, um, mm. are 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 oftentimes great targets to um, get R and D on a new technology. But I was meaning as far as actually getting legs under a new product. Um, it, but, yeah, Pinnacle. Uh, it is a, if the if the sales pitch is done right. Yes, it is a blank check, and sometimes there are some horrible failures on that. But people just dig their heels into the ground and keep throwing money at the shit, no matter how much of a fucking albatross it is. Bradley Osprey. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the Osprey. Anyway, <laughs> that's that's a rabbit hole. Oh no, the Bradley's worse. If there's a what is it? Pen- Pentagon Wars. Was the name of the movie? It was an old '90s. Uh, it was marketed as a comedy, but it was about the actual history of the the Bradley Fiedling vehicle and what a ridiculous failure it still is today. But they find a way to use it. It's it's almost like they it's that sunk cost fallacy. They've sunk so much money into it, they feel obligated to use it. Part of the problem was if you watch the movie as they were labeling it is, you know, up and coming officers that turned into a make or break their career. They could either shuffle it along and just kind of coast through or they could rubber stamp it. And if it flopped and then it was the end of their career or they could nix it. And that was definitely going to be the end of their career because it would realize all of the failings of the higher ups that came before them on that project. Hmm. Yeah. But no, a lot of cases, what I what I refer to as um, enterprise um, solutions oftentimes subsidize things for uh, uh, consumer markets like gaming. Uh, for example, yeah. uh, you look at like uh, whenever, say, uh, let's say Google Stadia, right, comes out. If they if as I suspect they will do. And I hope they will do if they charge $60 a year for Google Stadia service, which to me is a smart move business wise, because that puts it right in the crosshairs of competing with, uh, you know, like uh, Xbox Live and PS Plus, but offering a, a, a significantly different value set. Right. But uh, if they do that, obviously, I'm pretty confident to say that the infrastructure maintenance of Google Stadia costs significantly more than $60 per user. Uh, however, they can justify it by uh, by subsidizing that against their enterprise cloud solutions and essentially allowing Stadia to piggyback off of that revenue. Um, you know, that's, that's yeah. the way I oftentimes look at it is that you, you'll notice that there's a lot of what seems like cool technologies that just never really make headway. And a lot of times that's because um, there wasn't an enterprise market for it to piggyback off of, I guess yeah. is my major point. Although, like I said, I really want to try out okay. this Iron Man VR game. <laughs> yeah, You do have the opposite direction of that with uh, Microsoft Azure. They actually got startup funding for Azure from uh, Xbox Live paid service. Uh, that started building that and then they pushed it into uh, well here's the thing is it would not have stood on its own two legs from that alone they pushed it into enterprise market to keep it going sort that that's not quite how that happened uh no there there there's a lot more into don't get me wrong they're uh, essentially there so they had a lot of infrastructure already set up for a lot of stuff because obviously uh they're pushing windows updates to computers for the past 20 years, 
right? Uh, nearly 20 years, I would say 18, 17, 18 years. Um, they've been pushing Windows updates to computers. And as over time, they've been slowly building up infrastructure to make that a little True. bit less painful. That's kind of the the first stepping stone is just building up that infrastructure. Uh, and then they had multiple other like concurrent pieces that all required further building out of infrastructure more and more and more uh, until uh, Sadia Nutella came in as CEO and officially said, no, we're going to shift to a soft a service-based company rather than being a uh, just a software company, which is what they were previously. And shifting them to services means uh, things like Azure and Office 365 and so on, which has actually been a, a it was a brilliant move because they probably would have floundered by now if it hadn't been for that. I'll be completely yeah. honest. Anyway, <laughs> digressing into the business aspects of Microsoft. Oh, yeah. uh, we're, we're supposed to be doing VR. <laughs> yeah, VR, Iron Man looks amazing. Um, I, I, I kind of am excited. I, I, even if I only get to play a demo of it, I, I kind of want to just do it because, you know, like I said, I, I wouldn't mind if someone built me an Iron Man suit that I could also fly around. So, I mean, VR would be preferred because that's more realistic, but also if you're some kind of, uh, you know, genius engine billionaire engineer, uh, and want to build me a robotic suit, I would also not be opposed. That will not cut you in half when you try and turn at the waist. Well, That's I mean, important. as long yeah, as long as you're you're you being would have clarify that I do not want to walk I do not want to not walk out of this as a paraplegic. <laughs> so so Wait, I, you don't I should want be... to be a Spartan from Halo? No, see, I, I want to be what, that, but I don't want to be like one of the victims from Hammer Industries, as depicted yeah, in Iron Man Two. Yeah, exactly, Hammer Industries, or what? Uh, what you're referring to, Night Rose, is the uh, uh, the the Marines in the book, the regular oh, Marines, yeah, non-augmented Spartans, trying on it. the Mjolnir armor, and <laughs> he shattered <laughs> everything, everything. Yeah. Well, I started out breaking one bone and then spasming from the pain just cars, you know, broke everything after that. Yeah, it was just that, well, it was that reference that like John, the first time he, you know, tried to salute with that suit, he um, bruised his temple or something like that because he was not ready for yeah, how he snapped fast it was going to move. Yep. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my my uh, uh, like obscure memory of reading the Halo books a long time ago. Yeah, but uh, even, even though they decided it sh it wasn't canon, it was actually pretty damn good story material. I thought. Yeah, well, and one of them obviously was technically canon because it was, uh, um, you know, based on the first Halo game. But uh, <laughs> well, yeah, Fall right. of Reach. Yep. Um, well, Fall of Reach and the actual there was one that was the actual Halo. I can't remember what the hell that was called the uh the one that was actually the first halo game in book form yeah it was just background of everything that was going on that was not in the game yeah exactly anyway I say maybe reach hun what are you reading first one was fall of reach the second one book was the one we were talking about and the third book was uh between the first and second game yeah that's the first book yeah thank you dear yeah. <laughs> in any case, to shift things to a, a a brief interlude, if you will, a a brief a brief moment of of I would say it's silliness, except for it's really not that silly. 
Um, it's more of a, uh, a brief moment of annoyance, if you will. It's like, it's like whenever you step on a, uh, a splinter or something like that, um, is at this point become the, uh, the trend of every time a new game gets, uh, gets announced as being an, an Epic Games exclusive. Unfortunately, the most recent victim of that has been Borderlands 3. <sighs> and, you know, yeah. I <clears throat> I would have a long, um, long spiel about how um, the Epic Games store and Tim Sweeney, it, this is all a really bad business decision and that you shouldn't buy it, but I think I've already beaten that horse to death at this point. So, yeah, good time. Well, it keeps raising up, so maybe we haven't? Yeah, the problem is is that not a lot not enough people really think about it and um I unfortunately uh, had, am still dealing with the uh the explosions of notifications off of Twitter whenever uh, a certain somebody tricked me into debating <laughs> Tim Sweeney on Twitter. Um which the thing is is that the guy still conflates, um, you know, essentially says Steam makes 30% profit on every game sale um, that's sold on, on Steam and that uh, publishers, or excuse me, developers don't even make 30% profit off of their games, which, of course, that's not that true. That math doesn't add up. Like, he Steam makes 30% he property He's conflating profit. revenue with profit. Valve makes 30% revenue off of every yeah, game sold on Steam. Well, not even. Th those numbers don't make sense. Like, the developer makes less than 30%, or developer slash publisher makes less than 30%, yet Steam makes 30%. All right, we're missing a big chunk of money. Where the fuck did that go? Uh, well, essentially, the argument In the here, black hole. Yeah. yeah essentially, it's my window. Yeah, essentially, uh, he's conflating profit with revenue. See, here's the thing, is that the, the truth of the matter is, is that um, Valve makes off of the games sold direct from the Steam store, Valve makes a 30% revenue cut off of those games. Unless, of course, they sell more than a certain number, and then it's, uh, was it 25 or 20%? 25 and then after like 50 million or something it goes to 20 percent yeah exactly so um even then it's not a blanket uh 30 percent but that's also not accounting for about a third of the games that are activated on steam are not even sold from the steam store they're steam keys sold from other stores such as green man gaming humble and others which Valve doesn't take a cut off of those, as far as I'm aware. I have seen no at indication. Not, not, at least not for humble. Humble. I don't know about any of the others. Humble. They have. They. They wanted to like. Oh, this. You know, charity and good faith. You know, they. They don't uh, take any additional cut off of that. Well, and, Green and, Man was saying that, and I was looking into them earlier because it was like, you know, what about Green Man? Mm -hmm. Um. They were saying that they get their keys directly from the publisher. That's so, and that's the thing. Is I that Steam keys if, are generated by the publisher slash developer of the game, not by a store. So that so, that yeah. So I have to wonder because they sell their keys for cheap. I wonder if they get a little bit of a cut, like they take whatever their operating cost is, which. Who knows how much that is? And... There, yeah. There's 
there, I don't know. There's multiple areas in which uh, it can go down. I largely, I think, I think the biggest, the biggest issue is just the misinformation on there. Because even if Valve made thirty percent flat off of every game that is activated on um, on Steam, that is not the profit they make because you have all of their actual business costs that get rolled into the quote-unquote percentage of sale to calculate their profits. So their personnel cost, their uh, you know their operational cost for the infrastructure maintenance because operating cloud infrastructure and distribution is not uh, cheap per se. And I'm not saying that Valve can't necessarily keep up with that, but I think there's this misnomer like let's be honest at 12% epic is actually taking a loss uh tim sweeney will never of course make that public he uh and he is an, an, under no obligation to because epic games is a private company so he doesn't have to tell anybody shit and what he, no. and he, he furthermore he doesn't have to be honest on anything he does tell people so he can lie through his teeth and there's no repercussions uh except maybe if uh if one of his investors tells him behind the scenes hey we don't like you being dishonest aside from that there's no government repercussions for him lying on twitter about how much he does or doesn't spend on stuff because there's no he's not a public company as long as it's the references or you know the the truth or lack thereof is internally uh, directed then yes there is no um legal repercussions now if he got, makes an aggressive uh, direct attack uh, untruthful attack against somebody else that can either be libel or slander well yeah yeah and, i i'm meaning yeah. Uh, yeah the thing is is what he does is uh he oftentimes will insinuate that uh that's why i said direct he, he works very indirectly on propaganda yeah and the thing is is I, I i don't have it up with me at the moment but one of the things he said was that he he quoted me the um amount of uh bandwidth or cost or whatever for distribution of fortnite which granted fortnite is probably the most popular game in the world right now which means it does have a uh, a significant chunk of bandwidth we'll say however comparing just fortnite to all of the games on the steam platform you're still going to be just overwhelmed by that sheer massive library right and yeah. even even as as popular as fortnite is it is not even close it's a drop in the fucking bucket compared to steam's full store library so the cost of plenty storage of, plenty of gamers out there and this is much more significant on pc versus any other platform plenty of gamers out there that are all about the cheap indie games whether it's yep. because it's low cost to them or because they just like that you know the that that can't type of game where they're all about supporting independent developers what have you yeah so there, it's not just that it's more availability there there's a lot more people that are willing to buy it yep mm -hmm. exactly and uh, the thing is is that there is a significant degree of of alternative sources where uh money gets made and it's not necessarily how uh how that works and i was trying to dig up the actual quote on here um by the way, for more information on whatever Twitter stuff that Mort was talking about, join us on our Discord server. <laughs> Apparently. Um, so his quote was, 
Um, <laughs> uh, so essentially, and, and even his quote unquote that Steam makes 30% um, profit off of games. He uh, Like he said, most developers make less than 30% profit margin on their revenue. So in most cases, Valve makes more profit from selling a game than the developers themselves. So that's his quote. He's essentially saying there. And then he said, yes, we estimate the average cost of sales at 5 to 7% in developed markets uh, based on our experience processing Fortnite payments. 30% minus 77% is 22% for Valve. 30% profit margin on 70% uh, revenue share is 21% for the developer. Uh, essentially, he's trying, again, trying to conflate um, profit with um, revenue. Um, but, uh, then he says that our costs in the developed world are typically two and a half to three and a half for transaction processing. He's talking about uh, essentially how much it costs for a credit card company takes their cut off of the processing, which valve fronts the game publishers do not front that comes out of Steam's cut, um, which it's up to three and a half percent per transaction. Uh, and then one to one and a half percent for customer service, one percent for CDN bandwidth. This is based on our experience operating Fortnite digital sales on PC, Mac, and Android. But here's the problem: is that is just Fortnite, and that is just in the developed world, where you may have various other costs in other parts of the world, especially in China, for example, which he doesn't reference. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm going on too far on this. Point we're, is, we're segueing into our next topic: other costs that include uh, dealing with governmental structures. Yeah, there we go. That's nice how to segue. That's how to segue. Yeah. Let's segue into <laughs> dealing with governments. So, uh, and and not to, I'm not. I want to remain kind of in the neutral stance on Valve because I don't, I don't necessarily think like if you ask me which storefront I prefer, I always tell people that I prefer GOG because I tend to like CD Project Red or CD Projects um, pro consumer stance on things. Valve, eh, they're hit or miss. You know, they sometimes yeah, they do good things. They're very neutral on all sides of it, which is it's good and bad. It's yeah. it's the best way to look at them is neutrally. Yeah. But uh, in this particular case, essentially what's going on is the European Commission, uh, which is uh, essentially uh, a commission that overlooks things that are happening within the European Union. Uh, they issued a letter of official objection directed at Valve and five other publishers, namely Bandai Namco, Camcom, Capcom, Focus Home, Notch, uh, Koch Media, uh, and ZeniMax. Um, that essentially they're engaging in antitrust violations by putting geographic restrictions on the games they sell. Now, to break this down on what is exactly going on, what they're talking about, is that a lot of game uh, groups out there, except for Epic, we'll get to that, they will charge different prices depending on the economy of the country that it's in. For example, areas that have worse economies like Slovakia, for example, which is poor as shit, they will sell games cheaper in those countries to help stimulate sales, get people the products in a more a more affordable rate. 
as opposed to people a, in as Germany. A side on that in the entertainment industry or the the entertainment. Um, yeah, well, it, not looking at it from the industrial side, but consumption of entertainment. You look at the, the poor side of people. They need more escapist escapism from their real life. And of course, games and other, you know, entertainment provide a great means for that. So more affordability for that can make their, you know, lives that little bit much better. That's not necessarily how the business side of is looking at it. They're looking at just an opportunity to make more sales. But the flip side of that is these people that are not as well off have a more affordable means to, you know, live their uh, feel uh, feel a little bit better about their lives. Yeah. And and that's the thing is that uh, a lot of times, you know, I don't necessarily think that that they sell them for cheaper in those markets because they're being nice guys and they're no, trying to help no, people. No, I, I know it's a business thing. No. They're trying to drive sales, but it, it does have yeah. a benefit, a consumer benefit on that. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that GOG also has a similar practice. In fact, they're very clear in one of their uh, one of their tenants of the GOG store is one dollar does not equal one euro. You know, because oftentimes you'll see when you go to buy a game, you'll see it uh, 60 US dollars. And then you'll also go to uh, like go to Europe and it'll be 60 British pounds or 60 euros. It's like that's not the same prices right there. That's a very different. And then you'll but then you'll go to like Australia and it will be 80 uh, AUD uh, Australian dollars. So it's like. It seems to be a if they can make more off. There is one thing about in Europe though is the um, euro to dollar, with that included, is almost a one to one. Not not completely, um, but I was looking into some of the math on it, and like a uh, a sixty dollar game, and then you have sixty euros including the VAT, which I can't remember what VAT stands for, but it's a, a value tax. added tax. Yeah, it's a value added tax that can make it a little bit closer comparison in price. Again, it's still not equal. Um, now, if you have the VAT is segregate, then that is obviously not an equal comparison. Mo- most of the time, the VAT is separate. And that's usually the complaint. A lot of Europeans do not like yeah. VAT. Uh, it is it's mm. not very popular at all. Um, no. Because you also get VAT charged from one EU country sometimes to another market. Uh, and it's a little little wonky but in any case the major point is is that uh the reason essentially the complaint here isn't necessarily that um that valve and these other companies sell games in those poorer countries for less money the complaint is actually that they sell them in those uh poorer countries but then region lock the key so that can only be activated in those countries and obviously the reason for that is to prevent uh, gray market sites like G2A who have a long-standing practice of buying games for the cheaper third world country price like in Brazil or in Russia or somewhere like there, buying it for a cheaper price in those countries than turning around to the first world like France, Germany, United States, UK and selling it for a quote-unquote discount where you'll see a brand new $60 game show up on G2A for $45 that's the reason why is they actually bought the game for like 20 bucks in brazil uh and then are reselling the key in the first world 
for a hundred percent markup off of that and taking a profit from it. And a lot of times they don't even need direct contact with these other countries that it, 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 modern technology, they can easily VPN. purchase through a VPN. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the thing I was is going to say that, yeah, the thing is, is that as a result, a lot of companies have set their DRM to monitor the network uh ip who has or you know other location information to make sure that if you're in slovakia you're getting a better deal on a game you're actually in slovakia it's essentially now here's here's a, qu a question i have grant it's still entertainment though it is a different industry is why is there a complaint on this in games where uh movies and tv can get away with doing that shit yeah the uh, well the thing is is that uh, that's the the part that's a little confusing to me, and I and, and I don't know for certain if this actually is done by movies and TV if they region lock while charging a different price. That I'm it's not, not sure usually a different price; it's usually just straight up availability. Like, say there yeah. is, uh, yeah, well, you, you got so, something that's available on Netflix that is a U.S. based show, and they have it region locked. You cannot say view it from England without, of course, using a VPN. But you have normal internet connections. In some cases you can, but it's it's getting more and more difficult because, you know, um, copyright agencies are um, pressing legal um, issues to try and keep maintain these region locks. But theirs is not different pricing factor. It's usually just it's copyright is where that comes into the, the copywriting regional locks, which makes something completely unavailable to a different country. I, I think I think uh, that might be because the rules were implemented in December of 2018. Um, essentially, to, to quote yeah. it specifically, new EU rules implemented in December of 2018 specifically forbid what the EC calls unjustified geo blocking. And the present expression of dissatisfaction underscores that stance. The conflict here is between companies trying to tailor their sales strategy on a per-country basis and the EU's effort to create a market that, like the United States, maintains a sim single basic price across all states. So here's the thing. While there are definitely poor people in the United States, and I don't want to try to make it sound like there aren't poor homeless people a lot, the... If you take the national poverty rate across the United States, it is rich compared to a third world country like Slovakia. Like there's that joke and I, I think it was like the Euro trip or whatever. There's that joke. The guy has 50 cents and he's like, oh, and he's living like a king in a high, high grade hotel. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. not, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Well, one thing to think about is like a, a good, uh, you know, association with the United States versus Euro European Union and the individual European countries, states versus federal. We have a federal minimum wage, which each state can have their own minimum wage that is higher than that, but it has to meet that minimum. It cannot be lower. Yeah. Whereas in Europe, yes, they have the euro is a unifying uh, monetary uh, factor in there, but each country can have significantly lower minimum uh, pay standards and different tax rates equivalently. They do not have uh, quite the unified financial structure that the United States has across its states as they do have across the countries in Europe. So that makes quite a, yeah, yes, they all use the euro, but that does not make them, uh, is one, uh, one European country is equal to another as one uh, state in the U.S. is to another. Yeah, it's, a, it's essentially, I... go ahead, Rose. I, 
they're trying to compare apples to oranges. We're, like you said, we're a United States. All we've got the federal minimum wage. They're dealing with a bunch of different fucking countries here. Mm-hmm. They're not just one unified state or federal government. They're a bunch of different confederacy, for lack of a better. Yes, it, it's, it's just an economic market. There is no. So, yeah. Now, Steam, I assume their lawyers have some intelligence and will argue that fact, but it's just, it's a false equivalency by the European Union idiots. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering now, I'm not. I, th- th- there, this is only vague speculation. There is not even rumors or anything else like that, but I'm wondering if somebody was lobbying. And I don't know if lobbying in the European Union works the same way as it does in the U.S. (laughs) You think epic? You think it's epic, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Here's the thing: is like the way they've they've waged their propaganda war is starting to turn me into a fucking conspiracy theorist. Now I'm one of the most anti-conspiracy theorists you can come across. That is bad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of fits if you look at all the the companies. Yeah, I mean. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. In any case, no. So so something else to note on here. uh, In a statement, a Valve spokesperson said that only a small number of game titles, around 3% (laughs) when the investigation started in 2013, had region-locked activation keys. Activation keys are uh, are keys that people can buy through third parties and unlock on Steam rather than purchasing the game directly through the storefront. It argues that it's not directly making money from the activation keys, and that making a pl- uh, and that making a platform liable for region locking keys requested by publishers is not supported by applicable law. However, Valve said it has already turned off region locks in Europe, uh, within Europe in 2015, with limited exceptions. So, the main you know, thing that limited exception is usually countries that outright ban certain products. Well, uh, essentially, yeah. Well, yeah. There's there's that. No, what he's what they're saying is that three percent of the keys um, are those limited exception. Three percent, and what they're saying on there is that it's not even their choice. It is publishers generating Steam keys that Steam doesn't like how Steam gives them the option to do this based on the publisher's prerogative. But Steam doesn't make the choice on that. The publisher does. Now, to be fair, there are other publishers such as um, ZeniMax, right, is being targeted by this. And they are very much there would be one of the ones that might be doing this. Um, and that's whatever they, they're, they're still on the chopping block for this valve in particular is not though. They're saying, they're saying we don't have any control over this. We're not even making money on this. We're just, we just let them use our, uh, our client. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that part plays out. Um, but, uh, the, the major thing on here and now obviously tinfoil hat on uh on epic side <laughs> we can we can make jokes about that all we want and for all we know there could be we could have if if uh if we'll call it tim sweeney 
is Saruman the White. It could be that there is a worm tongue on the uh, European Council or Commission. You know, to, to use a Lord of the Rings reference there. That is entirely possible. I think that's... I, I love conspiracy Stretch. theories, but I really doubt that. I don't think that's the case. The European Union is notorious for coming after companies for very asinine things like this. They've done it before. And the thing is, is that oftentimes there's a reason why Brexit was so fucking popular is because, and this furthermore could fuel that even more as long, along with the article 11 and article 13 of the GDPR provisions that recently passed. There's a lot of, uh, of criticisms of how the European union and the European commission are essentially making these broad proclamations and forcing companies to do things um, that actually end up in a detriment to some of the poor members of the EU. Uh, the, the thing is, is that, and then therefore that, that hurts the economy of that poor country, which therefore then brings down all of the EU's economy as a result. So it's kind of spiting itself in doing this. So I digress. <laughs> Well, when when here's the thing is it's um almost impossible to avoid digressing when you start discussing law, the law and also European politics. Um, yeah. And and to be fair, when I say that, I shouldn't say that as in there there are a lot of things that I think European and for that matter, uh, like Australian, New Zealand uh, lawmakers have done that have been for the benefit of consumers that I actually very much approve, like. Uh, consumer law in Australia is actually quite amazing at protecting people. A little bit that's, too good. Sometimes it's, yeah, like at what point GTA 5 gets pulled off of game shelves because it's quote-unquote offensive. That's when I have a problem is like, no, give consumers choice, but make laws that uh, make sure that they are adequately informed of their purchase. That's kind of where my line is. Um, but, you know, again digressing even more i think that not much will happen to do with this um because valve has uh proof that they don't actually do any read locking themselves but those publishers may end up getting uh punished i think it was uh bandai namco capcom focus home koch media and Zenimax. koch media by the way is uh they are the group that's over top of deep silver and 4a games which are the makers of the metro series uh, if that name doesn't sound familiar, I don't recognize Focus Home, but Capcom, Bandai Namco, and Zenimax should all be familiar to everybody. Uh, Zenimax is the holding group for Bethesda and all of their uh, other properties. So, um, anyway, yeah, so fun times. That is a little bit more of a dry story and largely deals with kind of obscure law, but it's it's got some tangible on there. I wish I could say that we're moving to a uh, a more emotionally fun story. Because over this uh over this past week, um there was actually a story released by Jason Schreier um of Kotaku that outlined the development of Anthem. And what <sighs> So I've got I've got a lot of feelings about this. First of all, um the manner in which the 
the developers kind of the environment that they're in at, at Bioware seems pretty abysmal. Um, and it's not necessarily because their jobs itself are difficult. It's mostly revolves around poor management. And as someone who's had to deal with poor managers in the past and poor, you know, people in charge generally at various levels above me, I definitely understand that frustration. Um, and I can see, I I've seen on a small scale where that's, that has caused detriment to work. Um, but to the degree that they experience it, I think is so much farther, uh, above what I've experienced <laughs> to the point of, you know, I haven't had to do, I've had to do overtime because of poor management, but I haven't had to do game developer crunch time over time. That's a that's a whole another level. Working ninety hour weeks trying to crunch to get a game uh, a game section finished. The and and just to outline a lot of the the criticism are essentially what's uh, the uh, about nineteen developers from Bioware anonymously kind of interviewed with Jason Schreier, and all of them came out with a similar kind of sounding story, very similar to how Mass Effect Andromeda was developed. Essentially, um, the management fucked off for uh, four years of the development, and then they were like, oh shit, we've got to hurry up and make a game, and rushed and developed the entire game in about the last 12 to 18 months. Sounds like Andromeda, almost exactly. Yeah. Didn't they do that with Dragon Age as well, or Inquisition? No, no, uh, Inquisition, the difference with Inquisition is that it started off as an MMO, but no. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, There was, no, so in this story, it actually does go back and talk about, um, there was, it wasn't quite this bad with Inquisition. The problem with Inquisition, though, is that there was a certain amount of uh, what they called Bioware magic, which apparently is this inside studio term that is talking about essentially oh, it doesn't matter how bad the development cycle will happen. Uh, because it's Bioware, things just work themselves out in the end somehow. Yeah, that that's the mentality of some of the leadership at Bioware. The, the thing is, is that it, it really seemed to me like, and, and where my opinion was it, before this story were released, was that, you know, Bioware now as it exists today is is largely a new kind of new studio new team so many of the people that made the games that i know that brand for are no longer there and therefore games like anthem and andromeda and inquisition for that matter are kind of just a studio trying to find its new footing find its new direction because they have different creative preferences than the people who made they should have renamed it like when uh bungie left microsoft and they uh reformed 343 yeah that's what should have happened there you know i mean no it's different you know they're trying to continue the same uh, type of projects but it's a different team yeah uh, i mean rebranding would have helped people distinctify in in that way so that people aren't comparing this current studio uh to the likes of Drew Karpishan's writing and and, uh, and David Gator's writing and so on. So in that particular case, it's to me, that's what I felt is that it was just a new studio and they just hadn't quite found their footing. They hadn't found their style yet, which is why a lot of the 
the games like Inquisition, Andromeda, and Anthem all kind of had this not quite sure what they want to do with this game. Like, for example, Inquisition, having the, like, MMO resource uh, farming, like, oh, I gotta go pick elf root in this giant empty open world. Andromeda, you know, like, giant, again, giant empty open world. Like, they put in the open world, but they didn't really know what they wanted to do with it. And then uh, Anthem, well, there's a lot more than that. Uh, going wrong there but the major point of it was that that's what i thought turns out that it wasn't just that a lot of it also seemed like you had a people one of the things when you're creating something is that you need a person at the helm like a captain of a ship so to speak who has a fucking compass that knows where the ship is going Yes, just because I'm I'm hoisting the mast and or, you know, say swabbing the deck or whatever, I'm doing these minor tasks that to me don't necessarily equate to where the ship is going. There's still a captain at the wheel who knows what direction the ship should be going and can give orders to everybody else to make sure that they're focused on a task that helps that ship go in that direction. That is not happening at Bioware currently. The The major problem with this, though, is that whenever you have poor leadership that is just flailing about and has no fucking clue what's going on, it takes a heavy toll on everybody working. And to the point where, you know, they had people that would just go in back rooms to fucking cry and shit. And you had so m- And the thing is, is that over the course of Anthem and Andromeda being developed, we saw many high-profile p- people leaving. And we were like, eh, maybe their work was just done and they were moving from uh, one studio to another. Eh, no big deal. That's That's normal. No, there was a reason why all these people were were bailing, uh, abandoning ship is because it was a fucking nightmare to work in that studio. Uh, then there was also not just that that was in Edmonton. There was also the this opinion that if you were Bioware Edmonton, you were better than Bioware Montreal, which no longer exists, or uh, Bioware Austin. Um, you know, Edmonton's better than everybody else because they're the original Bioware even though they're really not original Bioware anymore. I don't know. My thought is, is that uh, what, based upon all of the the goings on in this article, and there is a lot here, this article is long, and I mean long. 11,000 words. 11,000. Kev wasn't yeah. here because he wouldn't have read it. Huh. Yeah, th- no, there's no there's no way that Kev Kev would have read the first sentence of this. <laughs> but yeah, eleven thousand yeah. words in that article. It it is in, he would in he would depth. not have even read the first sentence. He would have seen the wall of text, not even bothered to skim it. Yeah, yeah. But no, in any case, I managed to go through the whole thing. It is it's tough to go through, not just because it's exhausting to read that much, but also because it's like a oh god this is fucking disgusting like as a person that now for me i have a unique perspective on this because i've led technical projects before 
having to orchestrate people doing different tasks and realizing that you have to have, for example, a very clear project charter, which they may have a different name for it in the games industry, but you have to have a very clear project charter starting off before you do anything that establishes what the business need is, what the intended function is, the, uh, the, the scope and deliverables of what you're doing, what exactly are you gonna deliver? In the case of an agile project, what is the minimum viable project product? Milestones that you need to hit, clear milestones, and then people who need to, uh, like your tech resources and your sponsors for it that you have to report up to. That is all stuff that needs to be established at the get-go, and then, if you need to change scope, for example, uh, do we want flying in the game or not? You know, you can establish things in or out of scope as needs happen, but that needs to be, uh, there needs to be justifiable need to change scope. And then everybody needs to fucking agree on that. That yeah. doesn't appear like you anybody project has project management 101. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm literally I, talking. I really remember this shit. Oh, and yeah. This is this is my own experience leading projects, and that I I don't know if I've said it before, but there's been many cases where I've I've at some point at least thought that a lot of games I see that get released. Uh, I I think I mo talked about this most with Star Citizen is that the absolute lack of concrete project management from a lot of games though is just abhorrent in the games industry nowadays. Uh, and it's led to squandering so many fucking budgets. It's disgusting. <sighs> and this is not just, and I never think of, and this is the problem of a, of a person that's like uh, on that engineer mindset. You don't always think of the people cost. Squandering budgets is where I look. Oh, they're wasting money. That's not the only resource they've been squandering. As it's noted by the amount of people that are just burnt the fuck out from having to like, Erase, do all of this hard work, put in 80 hours in a week to get this certain thing done, only to have management change their mind next week and wipe it all off the map. That just, ugh, ugh. So <laughs> I, I know I keep rambling on about this, but what, what, what are your guys' thoughts on this before we, uh, there's another piece I want to, I want to talk about about this For story starters, but no. i'm really hoping and the, the, i guess this is an applicable term expose i am really hoping that this expose will you know is shedding enough light for shit to get better for the people working in the, in the industry under these conditions it may not happen right away but you know it'll take some time and i you know i hope that there's some people in uh, um top tier management can you know kick the guy's asses and middle management or whatever who's ever ass needs to be kicked by whom it gets done to get the shit straightened out and this is not the only industry this is the problem but you know it is you know made the, the this problem has been made very light recent or you know shed, shed light on it uh, very brilliantly recently so hopefully what needs to be done will get done yeah. Um, that being said, you know, as I, I just referenced a second ago, there are many other industries with this shit show of management, and and so a lot of it is focused on money uh, issues. Where like, oh yeah, we can run, uh, 
our staff super short-handed and a ridiculous amount of hours because we're making a huge profit margin at this point, having less people to pay. Mm. You know, uh, I know for one nursing industry is ridiculous like that. Um, and there's, you know, several other industries that run into that sort of issue too. Yeah. Rose, what are your, what are your thoughts? Well, this isn't at all kind of new news because I remember there being a somewhat similar article after Andromeda yeah, basically yeah. saying the same thing. Bioware, I don't think, responded to that one. Bioware's yeah. response to this one is kind of telling that I don't think anything changed. Well, um, and like you had said that they just to hit on multiple things, but they really should have changed their name, but I don't think EA would let them because that means that they have to acknowledge that they're a different studio. And well, it's, it's not just that. There is a, a concept uh, on, in corporate business called brand value, right? Yeah. By changing the name of Bioware, um, they would lose a lot. Because right now, you have so many consumers out there that will buy a game just because it says Bioware in front of it. It could be loot box simulator, literally just show a slot machine and have loot boxes lined up on the cover of it and say, there's no game here. Literally, you're just opening loot boxes. Um, fuck you. Literally, it could say at the bottom, fuck you consumers. But people will be like, but it's Bioware. I'll buy it. And that's yeah. that's yeah. the reason why they won't change the name of Bioware <laughs> is because of that. And that is very true. And that's that's kind of the the what goes into the second part of this whole situation wasn't just this expose and a Bioware's initial response. Like, first of all, Jason noted on Twitter that they released this statement so, like, Bioware released their statement so fucking fast, there was no way they read this article. Because, like you said, this is 11,000 words. This is going to take some time for you to read. I don't care if you're a speed reader. It's at least going to take you 10 minutes to get through this. I think he said something about he gave them a heads up before publishing the article, but he did not give them the whole article. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is common courtesy for in in, in yeah. journalism, right? Um, but they released this statement so fast, and it more or less was dismissive of the uh, of the article, and essentially implying, without directly saying, but implying that this article was singling out and attacking developers. And of course, there was, one of the now, writers on Rock Paper Shotgun actually broke down uh, um, Bioware's response uh, point by point, and yeah. it, like summarized it as like this is either uh, has to be a modified canned response or completely pre-written and just released, as yeah. in they were well anticipating this sh- shit to happen. Well, there, furthermore, now to be fair, after that, uh, Casey Hudson did release an actual uh, more. Uh, I guess you could say more positively received um, response afterwards that it more or less said uh, we we recognize uh, not necessarily he didn't admit fault because, of course, that would be no no uh, executive. And even though he's a general that's manager, that's, that's PR speak 101. Don't admit fault. Yeah, don't admit fault. But he essentially more or less was a little bit more amicable to the idea that uh, that 
priority needs to be paid to their the well-being of their employees. We'll, we'll say that much. It was it was very corpus speak in the sense that he didn't admit any fault and, you know, that sort of thing. I think one of the things he did mention was that one of the challenges that excited him about, sorry, I'm trying not to laugh at this. One of the challenges that excited him about coming back to Bioware was um, being able to uh, to build up the leadership team. Um, the reason why I'm trying to get through that without laughing is because, so I know a lot of executives and I know, <laughs> I know what the thoughts that translate into corpus speak actually mean. When someone says they love, they, that one of the things they loved about coming to the company was the challenge of being able to rebuild something that is entirely complete bullshit. No person comes to a company relishing in the challenge of having to uh, essentially gut out in an, uh, a rotting system in order to have to rebuild it. It is a nightmare scenario. Almost every every person you talk to out there thinks it. It's, it's kind of like if you're putting it from a programmer standpoint, it's like if you ask a, a computer programmer, let's say they're a, a web developer, would they prefer to develop a website from scratch or would they prefer to take over and maintain a website that someone else has developed i would say probably about seven to eight times out of ten they'll tell you they would prefer to build something from scratch the reason why is because every fucking time you go in and try to maintain someone else's thing you you open up and it's just like it's like that meme of the dog sitting at the table uh, in a room that's completely on fire. And it's just like, this is fine. Well, that's, you know, even in in in-house networking management of even a small facility. Yeah. There's some people that take over that and they're like, what the fuck were they doing here? (laughs) Yeah. And there, you see that so much. You'll, you'll open it's, it's like you, uh, uh, or it's like you're a construction worker and you, the difference between building a house yourself or going and fixing a house that was built in the 80s with questionable <laughs> questionable uh, ethics behind it. Like, oh, you tear out the- how bad lead-based paint and asbestos was in that day and age, but it was not completely outlawed. There was still some cheap leftovers. Well, not just that. It's like you, uh, you, you, start, uh, you start putting... Um, uh, trying to lay the roof down, uh, repairing a roof or something like that. And you realize that instead of standard two by fours and four by fours, they use plywood. (laughs) (laughs) And then you put your particle board and you put your foot down thinking, Hey, there's gotta be a stud here because this is the way a roof is supposed to be. And then your foot goes right through the fucking roof because there is nothing there to support you. That's the kind. The original builder was trusses. We don't need no stinking trusses. <laughs> yeah, and that's that. That's the kind of thing that, like, when someone says, "Oh, I relish in this challenge." No, no, that's you're essentially saying you <laughs> they, relish they got in the, the challenge part. Right. That was the only accurate statement of that phrase. Yeah. That uh, but the thing is, here's the thing. I don't think I'll be frankly honest. Based upon the fact that towards the end of development. There was no change to any of this. Casey Hudson has been at the studio for what a couple years now, right? Some around there, I think. Uh, I think he uh, like shortly after a couple months after uh, uh, the release of uh, Andromeda, which was in twenty 
16. Yeah, uh, one, one thing I want to mention about the, the, uh, um, the rebuilding the team, people who do actually enjoy that sort of thing, they're not in that kind of position. They're more like the, uh, the bobs from Office Space. You know, they're mercenary <laughs> house cleaners, and they don't get directly involved in things. They go through a per, uh, personnel evaluation, and then they have the management team clean house for them. Well, no, here's here's the the truth of the matter is I and like I said of of the executives I've they, known, I've, they fix the glitch. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that there are um, there are people that are hired in into uh, an executive leader, and I even though technically his title is general manager, I kind of see Casey Hudson as being an executive position of sorts. Um, into that kind of executive position um, that come in there with a vision for overhauling uh, an organization, right? And you do see that at times where they'll come in, they'll kind of assess the situation, they'll be quiet for a little while, just see how things work. And then during that time, as they're assessing things, um, they're also taking feedback from whatever uh, people are above them, be it other executives higher up than them or a board of directors or whatever their boss happens to be, um, depending on their level. Um, then they're essentially listening to what the people above them want to happen. They're looking at what is there and then they kind of develop a, a vision on how to translate what is desired to happen into a tangible like product essentially a tangible change the challenge there isn't building a leadership team or relishing and building a leadership team there the challenge in the relishment is essentially you're you have clay and you're making something out of clay right and that's that would be more or less restructuring and rebuilding all of bioware at this point because from the sounds of it I'll be frankly honest. I don't think there's been much for uh, uh, for good leadership, like in solid leadership. And frankly, I don't think Casey Hudson, uh, for that matter, is much of a person that's going to be good for this. Because the thing is, is that what what has Casey Hudson really accomplished? People give him credit for uh, essentially developing Mass Effect Three, right? Under the under the leadership of Aaron Flynn, which, by the way, while people criticize Aaron Flynn because he more or less was the uh, the scapegoat for Mass Effect Andromeda, um, he has his own studio now, and apparently there's not a whole lot of complaints about his leadership there now that he's out un from underneath the boot of EA. So is the general manager really the problem? But in any case... That being said, the other facet of this whole story that I do want to bring up, because to me, this was the most egregious part of the entire situation, was the Bioware fan community response. Oh, jeez, yeah. This was a fucking uh. shit show. So, essentially, when this article first came out, and it's very clear going through this this article now granted if you've ever heard jason schreier have a conversation with any person i'll be frankly honest jason schreier's an asshole like there's there's not two ways about it he is oftentimes i see him as being a conceited jackass that being said tell us how you really 
smart. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> I, I saw I saw that that interview with uh, Yang Ye where he was on Yang Ye's channel and they had like that video. God damn, that guy is insufferable. I I will not lie. Jason Schreier just strikes me as insufferable. But he is probably the only actual journalist that the games industry has. That That's sad because uh, as I think it was uh, Jeremy in our Discord made note that, you know, he's, he just sets the bar and like goes so, so far with... Uh, with you know d- these in-depth exposés. The sad part is he is the bar. Yeah, there's no one else making the attempt. Yeah, the thing is, is that here's the truth of it: is is that Jason Trier is the bare minimum of what constitutes a journalist. He and the thing is, is that the reason why he seems so exceptional is because everybody else is a glorified fucking blogger. All they do is they they regurgitate uh, corporate press releases, maybe with their own opinions, or in the case of Nathan, fuck you, I'm uh, I'm Epic's toadstool Grayson. <laughs> all all he really does is is bitch and complain about Valve wanting to give consumers choice. Whatever. My point is, is that now, and that's not to take away, Jason is doing his job. That this article, this 11,000 words, is Jason's job. And of course, I would like to point out that every other one of you fucking journalists out there that are writing for uh, publications out there, you all should be doing this. If you are not doing this, you are not a fucking journalist. You are a blogger, not a journalist. That being said, the community, their initial response was essentially that uh, because the tone in here, because it's Jason Trier, and like I said, his he oftentimes to me just strikes me he's as insufferable. A, he's he does, abrasive. Yeah, he's very abrasive. Which, to me, if you guys have seen, what is that, uh, what was that movie about that journalist that had, uh, Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal in it, um, it won a bunch oh, of awards. I know what you're talking about, and I can't remember the name of it right now. I know what movie you're talking about, Yeah, though. in any case, the, the, that was based on a true story, and, uh, the, the journalist that that was based on was very notable for being insufferable people couldn't stand to be around that person it's kind of also the same thing with like say a sherlock holmes of sorts if you will one of the things noted about sherlock holmes is he was absolutely he wasn't a real person but in the books um watson would regularly note how nobody could fucking stand sherlock holmes he was insufferable because he was always cutting through bullshit and calling you on it right that's what a journalist is supposed to be doing anyway the response from the community was that uh, essentially Jason Schreier was attacking developers at Bioware. Poor Bioware, and we need to stand beside Bioware in this in this trying time. Uh, essentially, they're they're saying. We need to stand by a corporation as they abuse fucking employees. We need to stand by them and support them. Here, you know what? Um, I see that you're kicking that dude on the ground who's crying for you to stop. You know what? I need to stand by you. I need to support you. So here's a billy club. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be your personal cheerleader while you kick that guy to death. Yeah, you know, that's that's essentially... I, I feel like that, um, you know, that meme where it shows the one guy, um, you know, th- that uh, has shot some dude, and then on the next screen it's like, how could this person do this type of thing? Like, essentially ignoring blame. That's kind of what it feels like at some point. Like, oh, Bioware shot somebody in the fan base is like how could this other person not, that's not Bioware have shot that guy? That's essentially what's going on here is that they can't, uh, it's disappointing. And then some people kind of warped it and said that, well, the article was blaming developers, but we should support the developers wanting better, better working conditions. And I'm like, that, that's what Jason Schreier for all his faults. He's a major, uh, he's constantly been pushing, um, game developers unionizing across the industry mm. not just not just the bioware not just the ea every he's done it for uh uh rockstar he's mentioned it about cd project red he's been calling out crunch time as a bullshit fucking practice for years now so this isn't just a uh a, a bioware thing he doesn't have it out for bioware um there's no bias there he, this is well. There is a bias. His bias is he's very much pro-union. So take that for what it is. Um, but yeah, that's that's what his bias is. Uh, in Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler. That's the, name the that's the one. Nightcrawler. Yeah. The yeah. The, ah, the journalist yeah. on which that was based was noted for being kind of uh, difficult to interact with. Um, if if my memory serves correctly, um, a lot of people that means they're fairly good at their specialization. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, my major thing on there is to the to the fan base, the Bioware fan base. The thing is, is that uh, now Casey Hudson may turn things around for uh, and and kind of make things better for for the Bioware studios. May we'll probably not hear as much about it in the future because uh, one of the first things that got uh, sent out, uh, Jason, <laughs> his contacts, just constantly feeding him stuff, just making Bioware look so stupid. After the article was released and after Bioware published that official statement, um, Jason tweeted out that one of his sources said that uh, there was no talk of the actual article. All that they did was send out an email saying, don't talk to the press. That in and of itself should be telling enough the quality of your leadership at Bioware. Don't talk to yeah. the press because we got embarrassed. We got a black eye because you fucking serfs got all uppity and decided to uh, to talk to someone else about your mistreatment. So to the fans um, that uh, tried to attack Jason's article or Jason himself uh, criticizing him for uh attacking developers at bioware uh go fuck yourself um uh, hmm. because Don't you just read the press release that if bioware you want to attack releases. him attack him for being an asshole because yes. he said something bad to you personally but not for a truthful article yeah that's um, just absolute bullshit yeah, like, like if it's not been clear i don't have a high opinion of jason schreier on a personal level I, I do I, I really don't I, I the guy just strikes me as completely unlikable and I can't stand the guy personally that does not you will not at any point hear me say because Jason Schreier is insufferable 
Therefore, this article is somehow without merit or does not need to be paid attention to. He can be as insufferable as he fucking wants as long as he continues to do his job as a journalist and call out corporations for this. That's the point of focus is you also don't want to swing that the other way. Like, oh, because he's abrasive, that must mean he's being truthful. Like, no, that doesn't mean anything. If he's doing his job properly, that's what matters. Yeah, I I, his my my feelings towards his personality uh, and his uh, abrasiveness are completely irrelevant to the fact that he Mm. has in the past, he has a, a demonstrated record of kind of using his inside contacts that not a lot of other people have. Um, he's developed inside contacts, a lot of uh, corp, uh, a lot of these game developer studios, and he uses those to, to pu- put out some truth about what's going on behind the fucking scenes. He's also uh, been... Again, that's another part of real journalism. Develop contacts. Yeah, Not exactly. just read PR and re-blog that shit. Yeah, which I... I very much, and this is a criticism of everybody from a lot of popular uh, YouTubers like Young Yeah, uh, Layman Gaming, and those ones. And hell, even a criticism of us here because we obviously don't have a lot of those inside contacts. Now, Young Yeah and Layman Gaming having um, higher visibility, larger audiences, they could better work their influence to get those contacts if they so chose. They just don't necessarily have the gumption, nor do they really seem to have much desire to do so. Um, us here, we're just kind of, you know, whatever. We're nobody's ranting on the other. This is a hobby for us. This is not our primary job. Yeah. Uh, all that we can offer here that is is unique is that you know we have usually some level degree of technical uh, expertise in the tech industry uh, of some sort that allows us to have a perspective that gives us a place of knowledge um even how, kev yeah even kev even kev, kev works in the tech industry as well so yeah um you know and that's the thing is that uh, actually that's something i can't say for myself at this point in time well yeah but you've owned a i tech have experience business. but i don't work currently work on the field yeah in any case the point is is that um you know if you're just some random schmo on the internet and you see a bioware fanboy and want to attack this it's it, it is largely a, a matter of you need to take a step back, emotionally decouple yourself from Bioware and their products and take a look at how people are being treated and say, hey, I know this is very hard for people to admit, but hey, maybe continuing to give money to these shitty corporations is incentivizing them to not change the way they treat employees i'm not always necessarily an advocate of making purchasing decisions based upon the ideologies of corporations that i usually don't care about however whenever a, a business is outright unethical for example like epic hear me rant about epic all the time that's another case. You know, I will rant about them and not purchase from them because of their business practices. Um, and also to um, to Azel over on uh, on Mixer. What's up, man? Uh, Loch Ness monster. Sure. In any case, yeah, I, it, I I could rant about this a lot because I I and I've said a lot about it, especially on Twitter over the past. Uh, few days I've been kind of engaging with a lot of folks on there 
a lot of people were not um, not very pleased with my reaction of uh, essentially calling people out and telling people that they're they're pieces of human excrement because they are supporting a corporation that is uh, treating people like this. Come on, take take a step back from your own love of. I don't care how much you love Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Jade Empire, Baldur's Gate, even Anthem. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why you would love Anthem. Admit it. They just don't want to admit it. Yeah. I don't know Mm. why you love Anthem. um, Is Kev even still playing Anthem? Or did uh, he already drop it? it Last week, at least. I don't know. I I haven't seen him play it in a while. I think he picked it up for a week, and then he just like, yeah, it's not really that great. Yeah. (laughs) And rather than telling us we were right. Yep. Absolutely. Yes, Poke, I do know it's you. Um, I saw your comment on the uh, the Breach live stream we had last week. Um, we It's been a while, but uh, at some point, um, if you look in the description down below the Mixer channel here, uh, we have a, uh, a Discord server you're more than welcome to join, and we can chat and catch up if you like on there. We try to keep mostly on topic for the podcast streams on there because we so easily can go down rabbit holes whenever we uh, get on. Oh, we're talking about rabbit holes now? We've done it twice this podcast. Yeah, done it twice this podcast. Alice in Wonderland is a great, if not fucked, story. No, stop it, stop it, (laughs) stop it. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're trying to keep on there. yeah, on mostly on this uh, this rather serious topic though on here though uh, yeah the the major thing on here is that in I'm I'm up in the air with unions right um, I I have seen benefit of unions in many cases uh, especially in the entertainment industry I noticed that uh, a lot of like say actors voice actors especially um, you know could benefit better from union support and I think they actually are now. Uh, if I remember right, I, I don't quote they, me on that. I, like union I, is one of those things that is it, the initial idea of it is great, but it can get so easily corrupted um, if it's lev- uh, leveraged the wrong way. You know, yeah. it, the ideology behind a union is great, and if it could stick to that kind of ethics, should be everywhere. Yeah, but that's not always the case. It well, only happens in some environments. I I think that there are specific trade fields where unions could be beneficial and again like you said as long as they uh, ideally without too much corruption because to be fair i think that pretty much no matter what you're going to do there's going to be corruption um yeah <laughs> it's, it's just going to happen um the thing is is that largely uh when it comes to unionization i mean that is one potential possibility but like I told someone else uh, in uh, the um, Bioware Outpost um, Discord, there is, even even without a union to protect you, uh, especially in the case when you're a game developer, that right now is one of the hottest industries to be working in. That is a very in-demand industry. There are so many, like, yes, we hear about the layoffs happening at a lot of the big AAA studios and and publishers. Those are usually not the actual developers themselves. Those are usually tertiary jobs, like, you know, the actual IT folks working on the computers or marketing folks, that sort of thing. It's usually everybody except the developers. Those are the coders and the uh, um, artists. Those guys are in high demand. 
Yeah, extremely, extremely high demand, which what that means is you as a game developer have a lot more power than you might think. Bioware treating you like shit? Maybe you should give a phone call up to, uh, you know, I'm just saying there's this other Canadian studio uh, called Digital Extremes. I hear that they, uh, they're doing pretty well for themselves. And they may yeah, uh, continue to grow. Yeah, they they may have some openings there. So, uh, you know, if you're working in Bioware Edmonton, uh, I would I would uh, make a trip out to London, um, Ontario, and uh, and see uh, see the studio out there under Digital Extremes and see if that might be a better fit for you. I My think point CCP is, CCP has a few studios in London too. Yeah, they're the ones who do Eve. Yeah. Uh, the- they might be hiring too. I think they're always hiring. Well, I mean, there's also Ubisoft, uh, Ubisoft Montreal, um, as mm. well. That's that's obviously a bit farther away. Uh, if you're in Edmonton, well, no, I'm sorry, Edmonton's actually over over towards uh, uh, Western Canada. I forgot where my geography there. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Toronto would actually be closer to Edmonton than London is. London is farther on the eastern side of Canada. So. I mean, if you want to go cross country, London is an option. Not so much. I even mean, though, there is, you know, even though we live in a uh, you know physically larger country and you know have those kind of issues ourselves, we still get confused that other countries can be as physically big as this one <laughs> or bigger. Yeah, but in any case, the point is, mm-hmm. is that there are a lot of game studios out there all over the place and many of them are always actively looking for developers of many stripes be it you know uh level designers uh you know graphic artists you know, all sorts of different um different roles and positions are constantly being looked at uh so my recommendation is I understand that if you worked at Bioware for a long time you will have an emotional attachment a kind of a loyalty of sorts to Bioware, um, and it's honestly very similar to a lot of the fanboys that you see on the internet. That doesn't matter how shitty of a game Bioware releases, they still say that it's good because they feel like they they have to because it's Bioware. Same thing, you know. I, I the say, other issue they may be running into is they're working so many hours they don't have time to look for another job. In which that case, could be I a deliberate the, strategy. The folks in Canada. You know, since they can actually get, you know, since they uh, get this uh, opportunity with their uh, healthcare system, uh, when you go on stress leave, when you have to take stress leave, that's when you should be job hunting. Yep, yep, that is that is hundred percent agreed. My major thing is is that, dude, seriously, if if Bioware's treating you like shit, walk the fuck out. I mean, they the can't thing make is, games without. You. The thing is, is that it, even if they have you on, usually now the thing is, is that oftentimes uh, a lot of uh, tech feel, like uh, tech positions like I've been in in the past um, have um, exclusivity or non-compete agreements uh, is what they're usually called, where essentially the agreement will say something to the effect of um, while you're working here, while both parties agreed for gainful employment, that you cannot uh, seek employment with a competitor in the market, um, or something like that. The thing is, is that historically, especially in Canada, but also in other areas, non-competes pretty much go out the fucking window legally, uh, legal standing wise. The moment that there is uh, a sign of, 
uh, employer negligence. So uh, at what point the employer is treating you like uh, Bioware is treating their developers, even if you are signed to a non-compete dis- uh, agreement, you can probably just tell them, flip them the bird and not have to worry about that. Uh, for, furthermore, non-competes are becoming more and more uh, on gray standing in a lot of courts because they're pretty fucking scummy. Um, I've, I've been signed to non-competes before um, with one of the, a couple of the companies I've worked for. And in both cases, upon leaving the company, I pretty much told them that, hey, I'm working in the same industry and I'm working for your competitor. And they were like, yeah, we're not going to do anything about it because they realized that especially in the area I'm at, non-competes won't fucking stand up in court. Um, they'll, they'll get laughed out of court if they try to do that because it's really fucking egregious to do to uh, employees to force them to work for you and not allow them to look for employment with yeah, the, 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 the Where the, the non-compete is more uh, targeted toward um, anti-poaching, mm-hmm. uh, it's one of those yep. things like it's very difficult to put on the employ or uh, on the employee itself but if they can if they have evidence then that's the catch is if they have evidence of poaching that's usually where the legal battles end up playing out yeah, yeah so they, they they attack the competing company uh, competing employer directly themselves for poaching if that's the case and there's evidence behind it yeah so this is uh um don't send those emails from internally <laughs> Yeah, yeah, don't because there's assholes like me who will be able to pull those emails and use them against you. <laughs> yeah. By the way, anything you do while working for a corporation usually is tracked or logged at some point. Just just yeah. a little tidbit on there. Um so in any case, uh I don't want to dwell on this not the government. Big brother's the company you work for. <laughs> in a lot yeah. of cases. Trust me when I say that they're tracking a in any case, um, so I, I want to say on there to to all the uh, employees that are, um, that are there. Trust me, I, I definitely understand the whole concept of of having shitty management above you and how absolutely taxing that can be on your mental health. And I want to say first of all that put your well being to to the degree which you are able where it's where it's feasible you should always put your well-being above working for a given studio yes bioware is prestigious in the games industry if you will uh, working for them oftentimes many people might see it as a dream job don't put that above your well-being don't yeah don't get hung up on the name yeah much much like the you know the gamer fans don't, don't get, get hung, hung up on the name yeah emotionally detach I mean, yourself it, from that brand yeah the, the the name means nothing i mean like and the, the thing is, is that statement was put out hundreds of years ago or wait no not a hundred years ago. fuck i can't remember when shakespeare was jesus hundred, christ a few I, few hundred years uh, a rose by ago. any I, other name would smell as yeah sweet. you knew exactly where i was going with that yep <laughs> um and the thing is is that uh shit by any other name would smell as foul that goes yep. both ways right the, the the purpose of that is judge the product uh, if you're a consumer judge a product for itself not based upon the brand of which it's uh, that that uh, is it's under so if it's a bioware game that's fine judge each game independently and don't let 
the name Bioware influence your judgment of it. Similarly, if you were a developer, trust me when I say working for a major prestigious like industry defining company, which I have worked for before um, of names that everybody ubiquitously would recognize the moment that I named the company, but I'm, I'm not going to because fuck you, you're not getting that personal information off of me. Um, <laughs> the, oh, come on, more. no, no, let's not, let's not get people doxing material, please. Uh, no. the thing is, is that I understand war, like it looks great on a resume when you have, uh, the, some of those, those magical company names under there. However, I can say right now working for, uh, a company that has a significantly different, um, we'll call it uh influence reach of a smaller scale but more distilled if you will the quality of leadership and the quality of life that those smaller companies can offer oftentimes are drastically better hell being a game developer one of the great things you have as a game developer Say you don't want to work for uh, Ubisoft Montreal or you don't want to work for Digital Extremes in London, Ontario or you know, whatever. Name your studio. You don't want to work for any of those big studios. You and your buddies can start up your own fucking indie studio, get a proof of concept together, throw it up on fucking Patreon or on Indiegogo or something like that, get your ass crowdfunded, and make the game under your own terms. It's yeah. fantastic. That, you got an idea, you got a dream. That that's that there's the a lot beauty. more availability now to try and run with it than there oh, used to be. Yeah, but that's the beauty of of game development is that worst case scenario, if you don't want to work for any studio, make your own. And then you you get to decide your own fate. You know, and that's that's a great thing that not a lot of other uh, industries have that availability to do. Like, no. <laughs> trust me when I say there's there's not always the availability to start up your own studio just like that. Like, you go into the movie industry, good fucking luck. Like, you know, best yeah. case scenario is that you make an indie movie and that gets you enough attention to where a big studio then signs you. That's 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 the yeah. movie industry. <laughs> yeah. So, that being said, um don't want to ramble on it too much longer on here, so we'll we'll move into our our final thoughts there. So, uh Rose, final thoughts on uh on everything, not just how shitty BioWare is. <laughs> Fuck BioWare. Um seriously, like Mort said, game developers, you guys have a lot of availability. Use it. Capitalize on it. Nothing's going to send a more powerful message to your corporate overlords than just getting up and walking. Um, you guys are blessed. I'm a, I studied network engineering and cybersecurity. I don't necessarily have the options you do. Well, cybersecurity is a very in-demand field as well, but that's a yeah. <laughs> you would think but it, it's a it, it's you need someone yeah, even though they're both tech fields, it's still a different animal. Yeah. Yeah, you need someone in the field or in the company 
to get in with the company that I've found. And it's really driving nuts, right? Yeah, um, you're, you're cutting out a bit, by the way, Rose. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think network's having issues here. Yeah. Uh, well, if you also have that noise gate on Discord, that'll happen too. Uh, we've got some foul weather coming. So. Ooh. Yeah. Hey. So, I mean, just capitalize on your opportunities. Do what you can. Yep. The biggest thing is, is that uh, there are some people that would say that ambition is a bad thing. Uh, that's not true. Too much ambition can be a bad thing. Um, at what point you ambition start... Ambition is good, hubris is bad. And yes, there yes. is a difference between the yes, two. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Perfectly said. Mm. Rolling into your final thoughts, Siphon. Uh, I, I I can't really say more on our subjects today than what's already been discussed. You know, um, people are pretty well uh, of apprised of my opinion on it. Like, yes, there's better there's better options. If it is that miserable, you really do need to get the fuck out. And it's like an abusive relationship. If yes. you stick with it, yes. then, you know, yeah, it is, it is. Yeah, and, it and is. that's any yeah. given industry. I mean, like, even if it's you know difficult for you, like, if you're a uh, a game developer, it's not difficult for you to move on, but industries, even if it is difficult for you to find somewhere else, you know, if it's that bad, get the fuck out. Yep. Um, um, but yeah. Absolutely. On a, on a little bit of a happier note on my final thoughts, um, you can uh, uh, find some entertaining and amusing tweets from me on uh, Twitter here and there. I also His regularly post up... Yeah, I, yeah, the dad jokes, and I regularly post up... Uh, um, <laughs> profiles uh, for Steam Controller and the DS4 for uh, games usually that we play on the game stream. Um, you'll notice recently there's a pretty big absence of me putting up profiles for um, uh, Origin games because I've you know fought, fought with the Steam overlay to work with that regularly and I found a much better alternative and I'll probably be end up posting a link to that site and um, more details on how that works. Um, and so if you, you're interested in that, interested in Steam Controller or DS4 with custom mappings, um, uh, you know, look me up on Twitter. Yeah. Good stuff. So obviously for those um, who are not aware, um, we are next week. Uh, the way we work things here at the Pixel Crashers is we, we stream every Saturday night at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Um, we alternate weeks on a week, if you will, we do the podcast like you're watching right now or listening to right now. Uh, and on the B week, we do a party stream where we will stream a co-op game of some sort. Um, now, next week, we had uh, planned and we still have planned as far as the you know streaming of this particular podcast on April 6th, um, have intend to stream Breach next week, which is a kind of a early access game. However... Um, however, there's a big um, caveat to that. Um, also this week, um, QC Games, the, the, the developer of Breach, announced they're closing down. So that sucks. Um, that the is very unfortunate. Work, yeah. but it's not going to get any continued development for it, and eventually it will have a complete shutdown. Yeah, so the, the game the game is is kind of unfortunately closing down, which... That is the curse sometimes of early access games um, and, and small studios like that. Sometimes uh, sometimes things don't work out. 
Um, and we do wish the uh, the folks at QC the best and hope that they move on to new and better things. But uh, it is unfortunate on our side because we actually thought that uh, that Breach was a pretty interesting premise and we kind of hope to, uh, to play more of that. But it, it is what it is. It's been set up with a lot of potential, but uh, I don't think that, you know, there was, you know, maybe they ran into Bioware issues and uh, they, they couldn't keep rolling with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. Um, in I don't any think case, that's the case, really. Yeah, in any case, the the major point on there is that, uh, you know, we should still be streaming it next week as far as we're aware. Uh, however, obviously, ongoing, that guy probably won't be a regular streamer because eventually it's going to shut down on us. So, unfortunate as that may be. Moving on, um, obviously, if you're watching this live on Twitch, hi there. We stream this podcast every other week. If you happen to not be on Twitch right now, we live stream this um, every other week on Twitch, YouTube, and Mixer. Um, we also upload the audio um, through multiple audio sources that you can listen to if you prefer not to watch it live or not to watch the video vo- like video on demand at all. You can listen to it on one of many podcast sources such as iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker, Overcast, CastBox, Pocket Cast, and Republic Radio. You can listen to us while you're on your drive through rush hour going to work, and you can listen to our soothing voices as you're sitting in traffic yelling at the guy in front of you, God the fucking damn it, why won't he move? <laughs> We've all been there. Trust me, I, I understand your pain. I'm right here with you. We are all here with you sitting right next to you in your car in fact how did we get in your car it's a little creepy were we here all the time were we waiting in your car for you whenever you walked in here were we here's hiding a, in the back tip. seat check your back seat before you go on your drive yeah you should have checked your back seat it's okay though we're still here with you always yes Boo. anyway <laughs> okay creepiness aside um creepiness aside um obviously we also have wherever you happen to be consuming this podcast in the description below this podcast you will also find a description in that description you will find one of a number of links including links to various sources of social media as well as a link to our discord server which if you want to go there you can chat with us on any number of topics or catch up with us and so on it's a load of fun we argue with each other a lot and uh, make fun of each other it's always good stuff so with that being said we're gonna start getting signed off here for the night we definitely want to see you guys come back for our party stream next week it's gonna be good fun hopefully we'll be able to play some breach uh, if not, we'll play another game. That's okay. It all It's all good. You guys have a good night. We'll catch you next week for the Pixel Crashers party, I hope. That's the Danya. No, we take our time. Oh, no. Yeah. It happened. Just, just, just roll it. <laughs> this is the part where I just let these guys talk indefinitely, realizing that they're still live, but they still keep talking. <laughs> Not until I see that uh, Twitch stream just like uh, wink out on me.
what do you think? Should I just like, you know, come up with every, 